Hello, everyone. It- Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Nice Today FC podcast. I'm Josh Taylor, and joining us today. Oh, I'm doing that. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Nice Today FC podcast. I'm Josh Taylor, and for this episode, we have an interview with the managing director of Nisa Nation, Jonathan Rednauer. Jonathan gives us some insights on his time working with Crescent City Football Club and the Gulf Coast Premier League. He also shared with us his new role with Nisa Nation and what their plans are for spring 2022 and beyond. Hope you guys enjoy the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. He is the managing director of Nisa Nation, Jonathan Rednauer. Jonathan, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Appreciate you having me on. Now, Jonathan, I just want to learn a little bit about your background. How did you get involved in the game of soccer? Uh, that's a good question. So, I am I am from, well, let's take it back all the way to the, the early days. So, I, I'm born and raised in a, a small a little town outside of New Orleans, west of New Orleans, uh, called Laplace, Louisiana. And soccer was not very big at the time I was there in the 80s and early 90s. Um, So I didn't really come to learn much about soccer until the 94 World World Cup uh, made its way to the U.S. So um, where I cut my teeth in the game was probably in high school. I had one of my best friends who was uh, somebody who played soccer his whole life asked me to come out to try out for the soccer team, and then from that point on, I fell in love with the sport. Um, kind of played, you know, pretty much at an amateur level, more so recreation than anything. Uh, but I was more of a basketball kid. That's kind of where I, I, you know, cut my teeth in sports, at, you know, more than just the amateur level. Um, so, yeah, basketball was my, my passion growing up. But once I kind of got a chance to play soccer and learn more about it, that's kind of where I fell in love. It wasn't until about, I would say, 2006, 2007 that I really started to pay attention to the sport and how it was organized and um, not only, you know, across the pond, but over here in the U.S. and um, started, you know, learning more about it, got my coaching license and started coaching at the high school level. And uh, I was, you know, 2013, or sorry, 2011, I joined the Louisiana uh, Soccer Association board as the adult commissioner. Um, And then just from that point on, just slowly but surely to start, you know, started getting a chance to understand the how it operates in the U.S. and, you know, the rest is history. Started the Louisiana Premier League in, in 2014, uh, followed shortly after the 2016, we started the Gulf Coast Premier League, and, you know, Crescent City Football Club was pretty much starting around that time as well. Um, I was just waiting for the Gulf Coast Premier League to get to a point to where it was strong enough to where I can, you know, invest a lot of my time and money into something like Crescent City. Um, and then, yeah, just slowly but surely, been building up ever since. Now, Jonathan, talk to me about your time with uh, Crescent City FC and how you got that club going when you guys first got started. So, yeah, the, the concept of Crescent City FC kind of came about, to be honest with you, in probably 2012, 2013, I was sitting down with a few friends and we were just talking about, you know, you know, having a club that meant something more to the community in New Orleans and, and kind of it felt like it was more of a club for New Orleans. Now there is a there is a club currently in New Orleans that everybody's I'm sure familiar with that currently plays in one of the national leagues. Uh, but we just felt as though that that club necessarily didn't resonate with with what New Orleans is truly about. And so uh, we had a few of my friends kind of ask, you know, if there was any interest to kind of create something. Um, and you know, being that I kind of was in more so in the know of how it works in the U.S., uh, you know, I kind of told them like, yeah, we could do that unless you know. But if, unless we want to spend a ton of money to join, you know, at the time, USL, uh, PDL, or, or NPSL, um, you know, it, it, it's definitely 
something that you have to kind of gradually work towards. So 2012, 2013 was a concept. Once the Louisiana Premier League got off the ground in 2014, there was another club in New Orleans, an amateur club, Matagua, New Orleans, that was really kind of, you know, hitting their stride at that time. And that was kind of a group of guys that were, you know, former pro players or former college players. And they were really, that was a team that most of the players thought to be on because, it, you know, it was well-funded by a local doctor. Uh, they were able to travel and go to a lot of national competitions. So uh, I wasn't going to compete with that particular club. Um, and so, you know, I kind of just bided my time just waiting for the right moment to, to strike. And in 2016 is when I really started to kind of put the, uh, you know, the effort into kind of creating the structure of the club. Um, but, you know, to be honest with you, again, waiting waiting for that right time, getting a better you know, better idea of how to operate the club. Um, should it be an LLC? Should it be a 501c3? Should it be a 501c6? Um, I just wanted to make sure we had the right individuals in place. And so 2019 was when it really uh, was when we finally became a 501c3. I had, you know, PJ Lynch, who was the president at the time, joined us, Robbie McCray, um, and us, you know, myself, we, we got it off the ground. And then, unfortunately, the pandemic happened pretty much right after that, literally two months after we, we formed the club in December of 2019. Um, but, you know, from that point on, it's just been just trying to, trying to get to a point to where we can operate um, at a level to where it's not, you know, it's not something that financially crippling any, any any of us personally, but also, you know, we want to put the time and effort into it to make it, you know, to be something that, you know, really meant for, for New Orleans. Um, so I'd say 2012 was probably when the concept became, came about, and 2019 is when we finally kind of really put the effort to, to get it off the ground and going, and so here we are, 2022, about to hit our second season with the in the GCPL, and, you know, so far, so good. Yeah, we're, we're slowly but surely getting there. Now, Jonathan, I know you're a New Orleans native. Can you kind of describe to me how soccer has grown, not just in where you've been in New Orleans, but throughout the Southeast? I know in New Orleans it's been very competitive, as you mentioned, with those clubs. Matagua, New Orleans, of course, your club, Crescent City FC, that you work for, and, of course, the New Orleans Jesters. Yeah, I would say that was that was probably something that really kind of sparked the whole and let's kind of back up. So when I joined the Louisiana Soccer Association, it was pretty much done so because I kept bugging one of my friends. So current, the, the current president for uh, the Gulf Coast Premier League, Jeremy Poklimba, and I kept telling him, like, man, you know, why is it that I'm seeing all these high school kids or all these kids that are graduating, 17, 18-year-old kids, they're kind of hanging up their boots, and they're just not really, there's nothing for them. They're, they're, they're not playing anymore. They're just going to LSU or ULL and playing for the club team. But, there is no, you know, ambition or aspiration to take it to the next level. And there really wasn't anything in the state of Louisiana that offered that, right? So, I mean, of course, we had um, we had the Baton Rouge Capitals that was, you know, operating out of Baton Rouge. And then we also had the Jesters that was operating out of New Orleans. But other than that, I mean, any, any other PDL or NPSL club that has tried to make, you know, make a uh, something of themselves within the Gulf Coast region, you know, they would come and go within two to three years at, at most. Um, so we kind of set ourselves, you know, on a mission to try to create something that offered uh, more of an extension for these players. So, you know, the idea of the Louisiana Premier League came up in 2014. Um, and, you know, the one thing that everybody told me was, oh, that's never going to work. You're never going to get anybody to travel, you know, travel two or three hours away to play a game. It's, you know, and I mean, there was a lot of people that told me that. You're not going to get adults to do that or you know, X, Y, and Z. Um, I would say since then, here we are in 2022, that mindset has completely changed. Now, if you look at where we came from in 2011, when we, you know, that's when the Capitals probably played their last year, and then they, you know, after that they folded, and then it's just been the Jesters and Mississippi Berea that have operated in the Gulf Coast. Since then, I mean, once the Gulf Coast really started, where we, you know, Port City, which unfortunately folded this, this past year, uh, came out of Biloxi, AFC Mobile came out of Mobile. You know, Pensacola FC was resident, uh, resurrected. I think they were the other Gulf Coast team that, you know, participated for a year before they folded in PSL. Um, and then all these clubs started to kind of pop up. And, you know, it, the the idea of creating, uh, creating a, and it's not necessarily what we're, we're doing for the players, but what we're doing for the community. We're trying to create a club culture, a football culture, uh, that allowed, you know, 
that offer, you know, a, a entertainment for fans to come out and participate. And I would say since, you know, since we kind of got the Louisiana Premier League off the ground, I mean, you look at it now, like USL2 is now operating and, you know, have a lot of amateur soccer, um, you know, uh, I guess you would say wherewithal. But now, I mean, you, you can probably see it within every city, every every little town throughout the Gulf Coast is looking to create something now. And it's, it's I mean, it's great to see. It's, it's great to see all these clubs available because now every little club that's in Hattiesburg or, you know, like I said, Mobile, Pensacola, Lafayette, uh, Baton Rouge, I mean, they're all now have an extension for these kids that are leaving, you know, that are 18, 17, 18, 19 years old to continue playing their careers. So um, it's definitely come a long way. Now, Jonathan, you were a part of Credit City FC, but you were also the vice president and director of operations for the Gulf Coast Premier League. So how was that experience for you running that league uh, day after day? So I'm still the vice president of operations for the GCPL. Um, it has definitely been a learning curve, right? I mean, again, being told in 2014 that I would never be able to create a league that would, you know, have adults traveling two or three hours um, just to play a soccer game to here we are in 2022 where, you know, not only are we having adults traveling two or three hours, they're traveling with an 18-man roster. Um, you know, they had they train two to three nights a week now. I mean, it, it's definitely come a long way. And I would say the day-to-day operations, I mean, when we first started, you know, volunteer my time to do this was pretty easy. But as we got to 2019, when the Gulf Coast really had 18 clubs, um, you know, six six at each conference, three different conferences, I mean, it got to be to the point to where it was, I mean, it became my second job. And, and so um, a lot of growing pains from that point on because, you know, we had to kind of restructure how we wanted to continue Gulf Coast Premier League to grow. We had to start bringing on staff. We started having to, you know, you know, we couldn't volunteer our time to keep up with the demand. Um, and, but, I mean, a lot of the clubs have responded well to that. They've, they've turned around and, and, you know, decided to create a much, you know, healthier budget. They've done a lot better job of, of doing things earlier on. They're not waiting till March or April to get their clubs off the ground. They're getting started in December and January to start getting things in place for the summer. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, doing the day-to-day for Gulf Coast really, I can say, is probably a big reason why I have the knowledge I do today to kind of get decent nation where it needs to be. Um, and I mean, it's still, you know, till this day, it's still, it's still, you know, to be a secondary job. Um, but now being with Nisa Nation, it kind of plays into, you know, the growth of Gulf Coast Premier League as well. So it's, you know, it's a good thing, you know. So I'm, I'm still, still with the GCPL chugging along. Yeah. Well, thanks for clearing, clarifying that, uh, Jonathan. I wasn't sure because I know you, you just moved to the managing director of Nisa Nation in January, and I know you had. You were, and I know you're still involved with the Gulf Coast Premier League and working stuff with Credit City FC as well. So, just slowly learning how you're trying to balance everything. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I'm balancing everything. My wife's not too happy, but you know, I'm, I'm trying to make it to where you know it's, it's, a, it's a balance of that. <laughs> Got it. Well, Jonathan, as I mentioned, you were named the managing director of Nisa Nation back in January. You were also, before that, of course, the Southeast Regional Director for NISA for the past eight months prior to that. I was just curious, when they made that announcement back in January, what were some things that you learned from your predecessor, Ron Patel, to prepare you for this role? Yeah, so I'll be, I'll be 100% transparent. The one thing that when I was talking to NISA Nation and, you know, they were talking about bringing me on, um, I wanted Ron's role. I basically said that from the jump that I wanted to be the person that oversaw, over, you know, was overseeing what Nisa Nation was trying to accomplish. Um, but you know, when they did bring in Ron Patel and I got a chance to meet him, I understood why. Um, Ron is a, an, an infectious person to like. He is he is a business minded individual who is you know very well liked in the community. I mean, just within his among his peers. Um, so the one thing that I definitely learned from Ron that helped me get to where I am, I guess, right now, uh, is his professionalism. I mean, he he was all about business, but also he respected everybody's opinion, and he made sure that you know he was he was getting a chance to hear from everybody before he decided to make you know make a decision or anything. And I mean, Ron Ron was I mean the things that he showed me. Um, 
organ, you know, organizational wise. I mean, the, the way that he operated, the way that he does operate. I mean, that's why you know he's you know leading one of the uh, you know the financial side of, of one of the bigger clubs in, in uh, USLC. Um, I mean, Ron is you know he's an animal. Um, but I love I love I love working under him. I love uh, the chance to get to know him. And I mean, it's funny you say that because yesterday I actually reached out to Ron and kind of showed him uh, what we've had planned for Nisa Nation and what our future plans are and kind of wanted him to give us his feedback and you know he's you know he's he's always there for us so I mean it's it was great to get a chance to work under Ron and get a chance to learn from him um, I think you know those six months have definitely helped me um, tremendously on taking on this leadership role and and uh, you know taking on the, the manager directing role I can personally attest to that because I met Ron Patel during one of our games for Chicago House, and even though I chatted with him for five minutes, just the only thing that admired me was his passion, just how passionate he was about Nisa Nation and everything oh, yeah. he was doing to get it started. So uh, meeting him and learning more about the league and everything, it was just awesome just hearing from him. So and I'm, I'm glad to hear that you also learned a lot from uh, from Ron, and now you're taking that torch and you know, kind of putting your own vision, your own spin to it to help uh, build uh, Nisa Nation into a uh, you know, a strong league down the road. Yep, definitely. What is Nisa Nation? So we get asked that question a lot. And, you know, Nisa Nation um, is slowly growing into what it was meant to be the moment that it was pretty much, you know, brought brought to, you know, I guess, you know, came to fruition, right? When, when the, the whole idea of Nisa Nation came about, it was to be a, a, a league that was like an incubator for pro clubs. Um, or, you know, for clubs that were looking to act and, you know, act and operate in the most professional manner, um, which would allow them to get themselves acclimated to operating in that, in that, um, that area before they made the jump to pro. You know, so NISA Nation and what it's moving towards is going to be a year-round, uh, year-round high amateur league, high, high-level amateur league. And so what that entails is, you know, we're looking for clubs that are, willing to operate as professional as possible, minus the, you know, the, the PLS standard of having a $10 million owner as, as, a, as a requirement, right? So um, what we're asking of our clubs is to not only treat a professional on the field, but off the field, right? We want clubs to dive into their community, have a lot of community engagement. We want them to focus on, you know, bringing, bringing people to their games and growing their club um, and, and, and just organizationally act as professional as, as they can because at the end of the day what we come to what we come to learn in amateur soccer throughout the country is that sure there's a lot of teams that come and go but a lot of teams come and go simply because they're operating as a soccer team they're coming in you know they have like a coach that's willing to coach um, you know this team for five or six years before they get tired or whatever but you know once that well runs dry once an owner gets tired of paying the bills once you know, players get old and they age, get old and they age out. Um, it's not a club anymore, right? It's a team that's just you know they 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 survive for five or six years because of the dynamic they had. But you know, when you talk about clubs that are building, you know, something for their community, they're building something that way they can they can hand that torch off, right? They can say, all right, we put in our five to six years. It's time for you to now take this on to the next level. Um, and that's what we're looking for. We're looking for organizations that are trying to build something that's going to be here for years and years to come. We're not looking for teams that are looking to just kind of, hey, we're going to play for a season or two, um, yada, yada, yada. And I mean, so, and it's been tough, right? We got a lot of teams reach out to us. And once we kind of dive into what we really are, you can kind of tell that their tones change a little bit. They go like, oh, well, we didn't really expect that. You know, that's what y'all were looking for. Um, and I mean, I'll be honest with you. I mean, what we're trying to do is we are prepping clubs to go to the professional level. So what we're asking for clubs when they play in a nine-month season, 20 games, 20 to 22 games, you know, we're asking them to sort of, you know, again, meet the standards that the professional level is going to ask you to meet. Now, we're not going to, you know, require that showers be in the locker rooms and things like that, but, I mean, we're going to get pretty close to, to operating like that. So Nisa Nation is a high-level amateur soccer league that operates year-round where our minimum standards are pretty much as, as close to professional standards as possible. Um, obviously working within the realm and understanding that, you know, where amateur clubs need to operate to, to be able to survive. So um, that's probably the best way I can put it without giving out too much information on where we're going. Jonathan, how do you see Nisa Nation fit with the, the current soccer landscape? 
I mean, we're looking to operate year-round. I will share this, that, you know, the Southwest region is, is a region that we're probably going to use as a guinea pig um, for what our new model is going to be. And so, and I'll, I can share this, is that after the spring season, our focus um, will be heavily on having a strong 8 to 10-club uh, 10 region out of the Southwest that will operate from September through May. Um, and that will focus on between 18 and 22 games. Now, the one thing that we have we have improved upon since I've taken over is our onboarding and application process. Uh, we are now a lot more stringent and a lot more, um, you know, in-depth and detail when we're asking what clubs are looking to join us. Uh, we're putting them through an application process. I mean, we're making sure that these clubs are financially able to, you know, succeed not only for year one, but year one, two, and three. Uh, we're looking for a, a decent, you know, business development plan that shows us that they're willing to, you know, put forth the effort to, to have some type of, you know, community um, engagement to where they're going to be around for quite some time. I mean, the things that we're looking for now is is definitely, while it, it will be a good, probably the first year will be a lot of growing pains, I do feel as though that in the long run, this is only not only, only going to benefit Nisa Nation, but will also benefit Nisa Pro. Um, because a lot of these clubs are going to go through, you know, such a, you know, stringent process that they will make sure that all these, you know, all these boxes are checked off um, so they're able to operate, you know, where we need them to operate it. And hopefully from there they see that, you know, it, it benefits their club. They're starting to get more fans of their games. They're starting to get more people to purchase their merchandise, you know, all, all that stuff. We're making sure that that's something that really um, is focused on. So for the fall of 2022, our goal for the Southwest region, and we're going to use them as a guinea pig, is to have a strong 8-10 to 10 team club that focuses on, you know, just those 8-10 to 10 team clubs. And we're not looking for, we're not looking for quantity, we're looking for quality, right? And so um, that is our, our biggest approach. We're not, we're not really looking to realign our conferences or, or you know, add teams just because they're strong. Like, we're, we're really looking to kind of focus on, hey, the Southwest region is, is operates in this space. And we're looking for the strongest clubs out of this particular region. We're affiliated with the Southwest Premier League. We're going to work with them to see if we can't help them get their standards up, uh, where their Division One is pretty much as close as possible to Nisa Nation. So those clubs are pretty much operating at a high pace uh, before they decide to make the jump up to to uh, you know Nisa Nation. There's a lot of work being done right now, and, and we're hoping that within the coming weeks we'll have that information out publicly. That kind of you know in more depth and detail of what our plan is. Um, but that's that's where we're at. Yeah, John, that's a good point. And you were mentioning about the the standards kind of build that quality for not just the the Southwest region, but all the regions growing in Nisa Nation. And I was just curious, what standards do clubs like new clubs, for example, have to meet to join Nisa Nation when it comes to recruiting expansion teams? Um, I mean. You look at you look at the current national leagues that operate. Um, I mean, we're no different. We're no different than, than you know. And I'll use you know USL two is, is a league that I respect very much. Um, I think they've done a wonderful job. The way that they've been able to you know succeed um, you know in the American landscape for quite some time, I think they've done a phenomenal job. And you know, you look at USL two and, and the things that they demand at a minimum standard uh, rate. I mean, that's that's exactly where a lot of these, these clubs, um, you know, that's why you see a lot of professional clubs come out of the USL2 ranks because, you know, those clubs are put through a very strenuous process when it comes to, you know, having to apply for the league because they have to check off a lot of boxes. They have to meet a lot of qualifications that, you know, makes, you know, gives gives some comfort to, you know, USL2 that they're like, okay, you know, we, we trust that you'll be able to do X, Y, and Z for us. Um, you know, and so we're not going to reinvent the wheel we're, we're going to kind of, you know, use use kind of the things that have been successful in the American, uh, American soccer landscape and apply that to Nisa Nation, right? So our minimum standards, I mean, they're just as high. Um, you know, again, we're trying to be as high as possible, you know, the professional you know standards without, again, making anything too tough for an amateur team to, to you know, accomplish. So, I mean, you know, athletic trainers are something you should definitely have at, you know, all your games. Obviously, everybody should have locker rooms, not only for the teams, but for your refs. Um, you know, high-level referees. I mean, it, it's, there's a lot of things I can sit here and start naming, but those are the things that we're really going to focus on, making sure all of our clubs understand. And one thing for me, I mean, 
the you know the off the field engagement, right? You know, professional looking website, uh, professional social media, you know, attempts, and you know, their how they how they interact on social media. Um, you know, and, and it's tough to say, you know, it's tough to tell somebody that their badge or their their crest doesn't look up to par. But you know, one thing that we we've been kind of sticklers for is you know telling clubs like, hey, you know, if you're trying to get those sponsors, if you're trying to you know, sell your merchandise, it's always good to have a nice, fresh-looking rebrand um, that kind of, you know, plays into the modern world um, where you can turn around and sell your gear. Because I can tell you right now, with Crescent City, I mean, I won't say that our badge is is, is anything special, but it, it's decent enough to where when we put it, you know, we slap it on a jersey and we make our jerseys look nice. I mean, you know, we're able to, like, Heineken resign with us this year. We have uh, another sponsor that's coming back this year that's going to be a part on our way jersey. I mean, it's, those are the things that, I mean, we have people asking, you know, they're sending emails to us like, hey, when's the new jersey dropping? And it's, it's one of those things that it's another source of, of income that allows us to operate. And so for us, that's one of the things that we're really pushing for for our decent Asian clubs is, you know, you got to look the part, right? you got to look professional. I mean, I'll always look at a club like Chattanooga, um, Chattanooga FC. I mean, they came from, you know, being an MPSL club in 2013 or 14. I mean, all they did was, they just did the right things off the field. They made it look professional. They made it feel professional. Um, and then it became professional, right? So, I mean, um, that's that's what we're asking for out of these nation clubs. You know, just act as professional as possible. Um, and, you know, the rest will fall into place. How is it like to, to build relationships with clubs and other leagues when it comes to recruiting? So, that's, that's a weird thing, right? Because, you know, the thing with Nisa Nation, and, and it's funny because we've, in a sense, been accused of, of this, but we have never, we have never really, and I mean, I'm not going to say never. I mean, I'm sure there's been conversations with clubs simply just to kind of get an idea of where they are. Um, but majority of the clubs that we talk to are clubs that reach out to us, right? They're clubs that reach out to us that are currently operating in, in a league. You know, and we, and we, you know, we try to be as respectful as possible. Like, we have no, no quarrels with, with any other national leagues or, or regional leagues or anything like that. So we try to be as respectful as possible, but, we do give them, we give them the spiel, we tell them what we are, and, um, you know, we, we kind of let them know where we're operating. I mean, you know, if a club is interested in learning about Nisa Nation, we're willing to kind of go down that avenue uh, and kind of explain who we are, and if they want to, you know, enter the application process, you know, we'll put them through that as well. But yeah, I, would, I wouldn't say that we've really done much of reaching out to clubs uh, that are participating in, in other leagues. Um, unless it's a relationship that's already been had or, or, you know, in passing, like, hey, have you talked to these guys? Um, yeah, I mean, we, I, for me personally, I'm, I'm not a big fan of poaching. Um, not to say that I haven't, again, talked to the clubs, out, you know, that are, that are in another league, but it's never been in a sense of like, hey, we really want you to come on board. It's more so like, hey, you know, what's up with y'all? How are y'all operating? You know, what are y'all's future plans? Things like that. And so, um, you know, I mean, I would, I would say – we try to keep it as professional as possible, and we try to respect everybody's, you know, where everybody's at. Now, one club, of course, I know in the offseason, Eastern Nation had a lot of new clubs join for 2022, but most recently, New York Braveheart Soccer Club was the latest club that was announced to join Nisa Nation for the Northeast region for spring 2022. How did that process uh, play it came about? The owner of, of New York Braveheart, or the owner, shall I say, uh, you know, they, they kind of came from um, they came from a club that unfortunately has been has been suspended from from NISA, and they were operating their reserve team at NISA Nation. So, you know, they asked us to say, you know, they said, hey, you know, are we able to continue operating, you know, under this under this moniker? And you know, we basically told them it would be wise that if they, you know, start fresh, and so we kind of helped along with the process, and you know, when they kind of came back to us and said, oh, you know, we want to be this, the name of this club and this is what we're going to do and all that. So we, we supported that. The one thing I did put them through and I, I kind of made sure that they understood is that I did. Um, Derek Reese, who's a graphic designer out of uh, Fort Lauderdale, uh, I made sure that we connected with them um, and, and got themselves looking, you know, a nice looking badge. Uh, I kind of, you know, helped them along the way with making sure that they're they're doing the right things of hiring a social, you know, social media person, a content manager type situation, you know, making sure that, you know, they're still working on their website. Um, but, you know, if they were to come out, I told them, you need to come out strong, right? You need to come out strong as a, as a new rebrand. Um, and, you know, we had been very impressed with the reception that they've had and, and, and everything, the advice that they've taken and, and run with. So um, very excited for that club. I really feel as though that they've, 
kind of turned a corner, and I do feel as though that that's going to be one of our strongest clubs in the future. All right. Jonathan, what were some of your takeaways from Nisa Nation's uh, first season uh, this past fall? Growing pains. I would probably say the biggest thing is growing pains. We, you know, we jumped into everything. So I'll, when I first was brought on, the first thing that I kind of started to do uh, was start working on the operations side. Like I wanted to make sure that our operations manual made sense, that we had procedures and protocols set in place. I made sure that we had a referee assigner that allowed us to, you know, not, you know, that's the biggest thing for me. In the GCPL, we have a referee assigner, Tyler Mitchum, who has done an absolutely phenomenal job of making sure that, you know, that the referee side of things is taken care of. And, and we and we take care of Tyler, and he does a really good job. Um, and so I wanted to make sure that we had that in Nisa Nation. So we found Kenneth Enriquez um, out of New Jersey, who has, been, who has been an absolute animal for us. He's been really good at uh, communicating, you know, uh, you know, gathering all the assigners, the state assigners, making sure that, you know, they're using the proper referees, you know, the ones that are currently trying to, you know, improve upon their, um, you know, their ranks and, and, and grow within the, uh, you know, the referee game. So um, <clears throat> those are the things that I was focusing on when the fall, like when I first was brought on. When the fall season came around, we knew that we we're going to have a lot of growing pains. And we, we told the clubs, like, hey, guys, we're getting acclimated to this. We're, we're still, you know, developing things on our end to make sure that, you know, each region's going to operate differently, differently, right? So we're going to make sure that we're, we're understanding each region. And while we do that, we're going to add things to our ops manual to make sure that we're covering everything. Um, and I would say, even though while we had growing pains, we did it, we did, we did a decent enough job. And, and I mean, we, we got both seasons, you know, both regions to pretty much complete their, uh, their season. We had two champions. Um, I think the level of play on the field was, was good. Um, and then from there, I mean, you know, we were able to come back. You know, our northeast region now has eight clubs, you know, when it only had six in the fall. And our southwest region had four clubs. Now it has six. Um, you know, now we have a Florida region that, you know, has five clubs. And, I mean, I think we're slowly but surely getting there. But it's it, – uh, the growing pains is probably the one thing I can say about the fall. And even for the spring, we'll probably have some more growing pains. But, you know, hopefully much less. Um, but, I mean, it, with, with any league getting it off the ground, it, it's just, you know, fine-tuning everything and making sure that you're – you're doing the right things. You're not overstretching your clubs, which are also demanding that they meet certain, you know, certain standards. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's just it's a little back and forth, but, you know, I think so far we, we've done a really good job. Now, Jonathan, you mentioned earlier about providing resources to clubs coming into Nisa Nation. And I know you mentioned earlier about building, having a good web presence, community outreach, streaming, quality of streaming for matches or social media. What type of resources do you guys provide to, to help these clubs be successful in Nisa Nation? So one thing that I really love about Ron when he was on, and he was very passionate about this, was that we had, um, and it's kind of come to a halt because, you know, unfortunately we lost Ron, so that was one staff member that we lost. Um, but he would have these uh, revenue-generating sessions, right? And so it was like a monthly thing uh, where he would reach out to all the Nisa Nation clubs and even our affiliates. And basically put on a, you know, a revenue uh, generating session and kind of talking, you know, talking about certain aspects of everything. Like one time we had Steve Lindstone come on and talk about sponsorships and, and partnerships. And one of the ones that we have lined up coming up soon, probably within the next month, um, is streaming services. And, and, you know, how do you stream and all of that? How can you benefit from, you know, revenue from streaming and things like that? So those are the things that we put on to kind of help some of our clothes. But on top of that, I mean... You know, there's a lot of knowledge for some of the, the NISA staff on some of these things. So when a club is, is kind of struggling or inquiring about something, you know, we to kind of take the time out of our data to kind of talk with that club and, and kind of walk them through it and see how we can help. I mean, our goal is to continue to partner with, you know, individuals or, or entities that, you know, specialize in some of these things. Um, you know, one of our partnerships that we have is Go for Ellis, which is an athletic trainer partnership. So I had a good talk with Ricky today, and, you know, one of the things he wants to do is he wants to kind of have like a little preseason powwow with, with our clubs and say, hey, this is who we are, this is what we're about, and, you know, athletic trainers are something that we need at all of our games, and so if anybody is struggling to, you know, find find that, that's what, you know, our partnership with Go for Ellis is there for. So, um, you know, while I would say it's not perfect right now, our goal is to continue growing to where it does get to a point where clubs can really lean on us. Uh, to help them achieve what we're asking them to achieve. 
Jonathan, is there any news you can share about about the NISA Independent Cup this summer? I can share that it's currently being discussed, and I know that the format has been um, discussed, uh, changing from a kind of like the the pod, you know, four four group pods, and kind of the idea of maybe turning into a national competition has been discussed. From that point on, I have been in the the Independent Cup uh, meetings, and and you know. They've offered my advice, but I've kind of told them that I need to focus more on Nisa Nation. Um, so I know that there's, you know, a few people that are currently at work, uh, hard at work right now. Ben Rohde, Matt Morris, who are on the Nisa Nation staff, they've kind of spearheaded that that with uh, with the, the pro staff as well. So they're kind of working on that. I do not have any information beyond that. Um, but I do know that we're definitely trying to get something kicked off for the summer. But I know that we're trying to make sure that, again, it's not... We're not over-promising anything. We're not overextending ourselves, but we're also still offering something at some value. So that's that's all I can say about that at the moment. Now, Jonathan, today I just saw the press release uh, for the Southwest region announcing their their schedule. And, of course, you mentioned earlier the other regions, the Northeast, the Florida region, and the, the Pacific Division is going to announce their schedules um, soon. So now that we're in the spring season and, you're expecting a few growing pains here and there. What is the thing that you're looking the most or forward to the most for spring 2022 for these uh, divisions or I'm sorry, these regions coming up? Um, I'm looking forward to, you know, we've, we've already kind of debriefed all of our clubs that are currently in the, uh, the spring season. We have 23. So um, I've kind of debriefed them on exactly what NISA Nation's plans are for the next, you know, three years, which, what our goal is. And again, like I said, that information should be public, hopefully, within the next coming weeks. Um, and from that point on, I mean, where we're asking these clubs to get to, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing which clubs kind of take that on and, and, and rise to the challenge and make sure that they're they're doing the right things and, and putting themselves in a position to where when we do jump into, you know, the full season, the full year-round season, um, you know, that they're, they're able to do so and that they've, you know, put forth the effort to, you know, put the right things in place to where they can, they can take that head on. So that's, that's probably the, the most uh, exciting thing I'm looking forward to. Other than that, I think, I think a lot of these clubs that we're working with have really done a phenomenal job of, of taking our advice and improving in certain areas that we have to improve on. So uh, I have no doubt that, you know, these clubs are all about growing their club and, and you know, being in a system that obviously allows them to, you know, sustainably grow at their own pace. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a lot of high-quality competition on the field. I think off the field we're going to see a lot better, you know, a little more professionalism from from our clubs, um, you know, and I'm, I'm just looking forward to it. I'm very excited that all of our clubs, and it's one of the minimum standards that all of our, that we have to stream all of our games. Um, I'm just looking forward to I mean, I'm from New Orleans, so I don't get a chance to go to any of these games. Um, so I'm looking forward to the chance to get to watch. Um, a lot of these, a lot of these contests. So it's, it's going to be a, a fun season. Now, Jonathan, let's kind of look a little bit past the spring season. Are there any uh, new regions that are currently in development for Nisa Nation when the fall season uh, rolls around later on this year? I would say there's nothing. There's nothing really in the works that's anything new from where we're operating now. There are regions that we're trying to get things done, but I, I will say this, right? You know. We don't, we don't want to set up a region just to set up a region and then, and, then, and then just try to find clubs. We need to make sure that it makes sense. So, And I'll use the Gulf Coast, for example. If we were to set up a Nisa Nation region and the Gulf Coast region, um, it really would not benefit the Gulf Coast Premier League. The Gulf Coast Premier League, we operate between May and July. Uh, out of the Gulf Coast Premier League, I can honestly say that three to four clubs would be able to operate at a year-round level. Um, and even then, it's, it's definitely pushing some of those clubs to, you know, operate at a much higher budget. So, again, it's, it's definitely a task. Now, when you look at, you know, the Southwest, you look at the Northeast, you look at Florida, you look at Texas, um, you know, you can look at, you know, the Mid-Atlantic. Those are regions that are primed to kind of have a year-round model. Those clubs, There's a lot of clubs in those regions that are itching for something like Nisa Nation to come about. So, I would say those are the regions we'll probably focus on most. Texas is being one that I'm, I'm personally taking a uh, – um, shall I say a personal choice to kind of get off the ground and I will leak this I can say this that the Texas Premier League um, is a new is a new league that I have kind of helped get off the ground and, and spearheaded we have three to four clubs actually I have three clubs that are verbally committed uh, there's another you know two that we're, we're talking to that are strong commitments uh, but our goal is to create a Texas 
Premier League, which will operate like the Gulf Coast Premier League, um, which will allow us to build a foundation. Um, therefore, we can start working on a decent nation, Texas region. Um, hopefully, I'm hoping that it can begin probably 2023, fall of 2023. So we're getting there. It's just, you know, we just need to make sure we're doing the right things and we're not, again, over-promising or, or stretching ourselves to where we can't, we can't follow up on our promises. That's totally understandable, Jonathan. And the Texas Premier League, I'm very familiar with. I used to live in Texas. I used to live um, just outside San Antonio. But I know that league has taken long steps to grow. And knowing that you've helped uh, kind of get that thing off the ground, we're definitely going to look forward to seeing how it plays out as we get going uh, closer to possibly next year uh, kicking off. Yep. So looking forward to that. Um, Jonathan, you mentioned in our conversation you have Nice some clubs that play Nice Nation for maybe a year or two and then try to go to Nisa Pro. Can you, can you kind of give us like a timeline for those clubs that have that aspirations to play in the professional level? I would say any clubs that are currently in Nisa Nation that are looking to go pro, there's a few things that they have to really understand what they're walking into. Now, Nisa Nation, again, we're, we're trying to operate in a space where we're, in, we're an incubator, right? We're trying to say, hey, come be a part of Nisa Nation. Come, you know, come go through the trials, go through the tribulations, go through, you know, find out what the errors are. You know, work with the partners that, you know, you know, we, you know this works, that doesn't work. This stadium was perfect for us. That stadium wasn't. That's what Nisa Nation is there for, for those clubs that are willing, you know, willing to kind of go through that before they decide to really kind of look at what a professional level is. Because once you get to pro, all of your ducks need to be in a row, in a row right? You want to make sure that when a club is stepping up to the Division Three pro level in the U.S. US soccer, they should have a fan base, right? They should have a fan base of, at minimum, 500 people that are going to the game. I would say 1,000 is probably, you know, more safe to say that would be where you want to start. Um, but, you know, getting getting your staff in order. And the one thing, you know, I had a, a really good conversation with uh, Joe Jesu um, out of Cal United uh, last week. And the one thing I, he kind of mentioned to me, and I, I was so happy to hear, was that, you know, when clubs, when a lot of these clubs with aspirations to go pro, the one thing that they focus on is like, oh, we're here to develop players. We're here to develop players. When 80% of your budget is going towards staff, it's going towards your organizational structure of, building out your staff, making sure that, you know, your game day operations, your, you know, your behind-the-scenes club registrar, like all that stuff is taken care of because that's what's going to hold up your club at the end of the day. The, the stuff on the field, I mean, of course, there should be a heavy focus on that, but all of that will fall into place if you have a strong structure. I think that's why clubs like Detroit City and Chattanooga um, have done a really good job. And, I mean, you look at Maryland Bobcats. That's a club that probably, you know, operates with one of the smaller budgets of NISA, but they do so in such a very, you know, they do so in such a strategic way that allows them to be successful. Um, and, I, and I just feel as though that those are the type of clubs that really, they, they understand that you need to, you need to have a organizationally sound structure put in place. And that's, and that's, again, building out your business. It's a business. At the end of the day, your soccer club is a business. And so that's what we're trying to get decent Asian clubs to understand is that, sure, every club wants to develop players. Every club has, thinks that they're, they're developing the next pro player. They want a pathway for players to go play pro. But at the end of the day, if you're not having, if you don't have that organizational structure in place, I mean, it's going to be hard. It's going to be very hard for you to, to take that next jump. So the clubs that are currently in Nisa Nation, I feel as though that some have taken that advice and some are working towards that. And I really hope that, uh, you know, after a season or two or maybe three in, in Nisa Nation, they're able to kind of make that next jump. But that's, you know, it's hard to say until, until you know, we, we are successful at the Nisa Nation level, um, and, you know, we're doing what we plan on doing for these clubs, and so um, we look forward to it, but that's what I would say about Nisa Nation clubs making a jump to Nisa Pro. Jonathan, what's been the biggest challenge for you so far since you've been running Nisa Nation? Explaining what Nisa Nation is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would probably say that's the toughest, because, again, it's, it's not that it's not something that's not being done in, in U.S. soccer, but it is something that is, it's kind of taken a step out of the current, you know, national. Again, you look at amateur soccer, and there's, there's two leagues that really come to mind. And then, of course, UPSL does a really good job as well. Um, but what we're trying to do is, is be, it's something that's a little more, again, it's not a, it's not a quality thing, right? We're looking, for, we're looking for the quality of clubs. Each region, we're planning on capping off at 
you know, eventually I would say 10 to 12 clubs, depending on which region it is. And then, you know, once we cap off those regions, the only way to get into that region will be through the, you know, the local affiliates. Now, I'm not going to say promotion relegation, but I will say that there is an attempt to have some merit-based system put in place to where it allows clubs to, you know, work their way up the ranks. But again, clubs, clubs need to check off a lot of boxes before they get to decent nation. Um, and it's just, it's just tough. It's just tough. While not giving out too much information, it's tough to kind of explain what Nation is, is trying to achieve um, and not over-promising. That's probably been the toughest part. And then beyond that, you know, it is it is a day-to-day grind, making sure that we're doing the right things, again, behind the scenes, organizationally. Um, I have a very, you know, I, I can't complain at all. The staff that I have behind me has been, you know, outstanding. Um, and just making sure that we're, we're doing our part. Again, we're asking clubs to, to do their part. We need to do our part. And that's probably, you know, that's something that definitely is a challenge, you know, day in and day out. But I feel confident that we're going to we're gonna do our part. We're going to knock it out the park. But I'd say, you know, explaining what Nisa Nation is is probably the biggest challenge. Because, again, until it's really up and running to what we want it to be, um, you know, it, it, you know it, it's more so selling something than it is, you know, you know showing something. So that's probably the toughest. You mentioned promotion relegation, and I know for Houston work for Chicago House and Nisa Pro and Nisa Nation now they feel that's kind of a goal they have to try out to do at some point. But I was just curious from your perspective, how do you see Pro Rel fitting in when you have the challenge of working with affiliate affiliated leagues that run on different times of the year, Nisa Nation, and eventually to Nisa promote to Nisa Pro. So let's let's throw the acronyms out, right? Let's not let's not worry about leagues that are currently existing. Let's talk about what what would allow promotion relegation to to succeed, right? Now, of course, we can attack the PLS, and that's something that you know that's not my forte. I, I would I would probably pass you along to somebody like a Chris Kessel to kind of take you down that avenue. But you know, for let's just go at the amateur level. You know, if you're asking an Anisa Nation club who is operating year-round now, so say again, September through May, they're operating at a budget of, let's go with $125,000 a year. You know, they have a really strong partnership with their sponsors. They're, they're, they're grabbing their community. And all of a sudden, they're asked to be be relegated down into the Southwest Premier League, uh, their Division One. We need to make sure that the Southwest Premier League Division One is up to par before we, before we, and I would say, I wouldn't say punish, but it's kind of more so a punisher club going down. Now, if you look at a club being demoted from League One to League Two in, in England, sure, there's some things that drop. You know, obviously the the revenue uh, drops, and I'm you know I'm assuming some staff has to get let go. And but I mean the standards are still pretty close, right? You're still having to operate at a at a level to where again your sponsors are are pleased because you're still getting you know however many fans you want to a game. So for promotional relegation to really work, you have to make sure that each league is is aligned in a sense to where the Division One from Southwest Premier League is pretty much on par with what Nisa Nation is, minus the travel and minus let's you know take away a few things here and there. So when a club is knocking on the ceiling, ready to go to Nisa Nation, they're pretty much checking off ninety percent of the boxes, right? Whereas a club, if they get demoted, they're not really being punished and having to go down to a league now to where there's no locker room, there's no streaming, their sponsors are going like, what the you know, what, what just happened just because y'all got relegated, now you're in a completely, you know, league with no stand. Like, those are the things that we need to make sure is done first. And, and this is not just for Nisa Nation, and I'm just using us as an example, but overall in, in U.S. soccer, that we need to make sure that those things align first before we really start pushing for promotion relegation. And it's and it's tough, right? Because I'm saying this, and I'm sure people disagree with me, and they're like, oh, no, we, we know how it should work. And, you know, it's... It's just tough, you know, and I, I always look at the Gulf Coast Premier League. What are we promoting to? What are we relegating to, right? It's, if Crescent City was to get relegated to the City League in New Orleans, I would be extremely upset because there is no structure within the City League in New Orleans. Um, you know, it's it's <laughs> there's there's the Sunday League, Salasa, where, you know, most of the guys show up late. There's only nine guys sometimes that show up for a team, and they, you know, they get a run-in with their boys before they go enjoy the rest of their day on Sunday, and then there's you know, the local Hispanic leagues where it's a lot of gambling going on. And it's just, it's it's tough when you don't have a structure in place and it doesn't align with anything else for promotional relegation to really work. Um, and so that's kind of probably the biggest thing with promotional relegation is finding out, developing those partnerships, 
finding out what that synergy is, working towards, you know, that, that common goal and, and seeing if, you know, we can't align things. And so it's going to be an uphill battle, but it's not to say that it's not possible. Now, when you promote from decent nation or, shall I say, amateur to pro, that, that's a whole other animal. That's unfortunately not something that's, that, you know, in the pipeline anytime soon. That's, that's an unfortunate thing. I hear those debates too on social media over how poor will be done, but you know I always say it comes from the feder. Well, the federation, if they really wanted to, could do it, but they have no interest to do it. So it seems like somebody's got to try it first before everybody else, because you know it's different than in Europe where they've done it for like hundreds of years. Where America, you know, it's just different because it's like who has the most money. So it's just crazy. But I hear you, Jonathan. I hear from your perspective, um, and we'll just have to see how. It all plays out. But, yes, if we get everyone on the same page on the same level, hey, maybe there's a path where we can make it work. Um, yep. Jonathan, I was just curious because I heard back in January there was like a National Amateurs League meeting um, with the U.S. soccer back in, in January. And I was just curious, what were some what were some ideas that you maybe discussed with other amateur leagues uh, to try to work together to build a better – uh, soccer for the adult amateur game? Yeah, so uh, unfortunately I wasn't at that meeting, the coaches convention meeting, um, but I, I was, you know, we, we did have a little committee meeting probably, I would say a week or two ago, um, and I, I thought it went well. I mean, we got a chance, and it's more so of everybody feeling each other out, right? I mean, it, it's tough because, you know, we're all we're all trying to succeed um, at, at, you know, Getting, getting what our vision and our model is off the ground and, and out to the public. And, you know, there's some things that, you know, you know we, don't, we don't see eye to eye on a few things, but we all, we all, there all, there's a common goal, right? You just want to improve soccer, especially at the amateur rank throughout the country. So that's the common goal. And so what can we do to kind of get to that point? Um, and I would say, you know, the talks went well. And, you know, one of the things that definitely is going to be a challenge for amateur clubs and amateur leagues, you know, moving forward is, you know, the the improvement, and this is a plus, I'm not saying this is a bad thing, it's a plus that U.S. soccer is demanding a lot more from player registrations, right? So there's a safe sport training that every, everybody has to go through now. There's, you know, the background checks everybody has to go through. Um, the National Data Center, uh, players are being registered now to get their unique FIFA ID number so FIFA can, you know, monitor where players are going left and right. And I think this is all something that's working towards, you know, hopefully a solidarity payment system, um, you know, down the line. I wouldn't say that's anytime soon, but down the line. Um, so that's probably one of the biggest challenges. But again, it's making sure that, you know, we're respecting each other. I think it's more so of, hey, how can we improve the amateur game? Obviously respecting each other. And then, you know, USASA is pretty much asking what can they do on their part. And, you know, my biggest thing, and I'll, I'll be completely public about this, is, you know, down here in the South, you know, our state associations really don't do much for the amateur uh, soccer game. Now, I mean, adult soccer, sure, like the recreation side, yeah, they'll have their little rec leagues and things, but when it comes to operating in the space that the GCL operates in or, or having, you know, a, a, a high amateur level type club um, operating, I mean, I can't, I don't think Mississippi Soccer Association has shown up to a USASA meeting in 20 years. Louisiana Soccer Association I've been a part of, and their focus is more so on youth. So, you know, when USASA asks us to work with our state associations, you know, we have to ask, what does that mean, right? So how, how does how does that look? And so for me, that's probably my biggest thing when it comes to working with USASA. Um, it's just how, how do we how do we work with each other, right? How do we get them to respect what we're doing, and you know, vice versa? How can we help you know again grow grow their their side of things? Uh, but I would say the national meeting went well. The national media uh, the national league committee meeting went well, and I think you know we have one coming up probably within the next couple of weeks. Um, we'll just pick up where we left off and. Slowly but surely, getting a feel for each other and getting a feel for what what everybody's you know looking to get out of it, and you know we'll just keep working towards a common goal. Like I said, and hopefully, hopefully within a year's time, it's it's a fluent and you know a fluent system that's you know got a lot of synergy going, and we're able to come out with a plan that you know benefits everybody. Now, Jonathan, I have seen some rumors on social media that there have been some conversations between Nisa Nation and the United Premier Soccer League on. A potential affiliation. Uh, is there anything you can share about those discussions, or maybe, maybe another potential affiliated league down the road? Um, to my knowledge, there's been no conversation between Nisa Nation or Nisa and the UPSL. 
Got it. Yeah, it was just some rumors I've seen on social media, so just thought I'd ask. Yep, um, no so, but one thing I do know is back in January is that Nisa Nation was granted National League status by the U.S. Soccer Adult Soccer Association. Why was this deal important in getting these clubs uh, a pathway to participate in the U.S. Open Cup in the future? Yeah, so that's that's the thing, right? So National League sanctioning allows us to, again, work towards having direct qualification for our clubs to get to the U.S. Open Cup. And so I'm not sure if everybody knows this, but USASA, their, their standards to be at National League is pretty much just kind of copy and paste from what U.S. Open Cup Committee is asking for, right? They're basically saying, like, hey, if you want to have direct qualifications into our, our cup, you need to meet these standards. And so for USASA, that's pretty much what their standards are to be a National League. So we're currently a provisional um, a provisional league at the moment, and then in September they're going to vote us in um, if, again, we continue to work towards you know improving uh, or meeting their standards. So that's kind of been our, our biggest push. And it's, it's important because a lot of these clubs, you know, they want to be a part of, you know, obviously the oldest, uh, you know, running competition in the in the country. And, you know, obviously it has a lot of prestige. So we want to get on par, again, with making sure that we're doing everything we can to allow our clubs to be able to participate in, in something like the U.S. Open Cup. Now, um, you know, that's not to take away from the qualifiers, right? I mean, we'll probably have to participate. All of our clubs will have to participate in the qualifiers for the next, uh, 24 months while we get ourselves, you know, approved by the U.S. Open Cup Committee to have direct qualification. Um, but, you know, the qualifiers every year seem to be, to me, getting a lot more exciting because, it's, you know, these amateur clubs are really kind of putting it all on the line uh, to kind of get there. And, you know, it's always a big question mark with the U.S. Open Cup, right? It's always, you know, what are they doing for the amateur game? It seems like they, they kind of move the deal a little bit here and there to kind of allow for the pro clubs to have better, um, you know, for the pro clubs to have a... a a better situation for them, and, and we get it, right? You know, pro, pro clubs are having to, you know, accommodate, you know, not only their their professional league, their professional leagues, but also, you know, for you know the the cup as well. So, you know, it's it's a continual um, uphill battle. But you know, that's pretty much what we're looking for out of the national league sanctioning is, you know, on top of our clubs being able to operate in a space that we feel is a very professional uh, professional way. You know, it allows us to kind of have that direct qualification, which hopefully. Uh, we're able to get, you know, within the coming years. Jonathan, what is the Nisa Nation's uh, Path to Pro initiative? Yeah, I would probably say that's it, right? Just the, the whole, uh, you know, idea of what Nisa Nation is, is, you know, we're trying to get our clubs to operate and act as professional as possible. Um, and again, it's, it's, it's a, you know, I, I say this, this corny saying all the time, but build it, you know, if you build it, they will come type situation. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, don't realize that. I mean, if you if you if you're able to create something, you know, and act in a professional manner and, and make it look like it's a professional uh, organization, I mean, people will take notice of that, and you know, people will flock to it, right? And they'll say they'll come to it. So, uh, with that, I mean, you know, present yourself how, how you know what you you know present how you want to be in life, and that's kind of always something that I've always stuck with me. My parents have always said, you know. You know, if, if you want to be successful in life, then you need to kind of act the part. You know, you need to put yourself in situations that, you know, you know, puts you in that in that environment. So I think that's the same thing. You know, same same message can be said to our pro, our clubs and even for players. You know, if you, you know, do the right things and, and find out exactly what it, it takes to kind of be in a professional ranks and start acting the part, I mean, you have a much higher chance to kind of get there. And so hopefully, you know, with the Decimation Initiative that we're allowing our clubs to act, operate in that space, and so, therefore, that does become a path to pro, um, whether it's for the players or for the clubs. All right. Well, Jonathan, just wanted to thank you again for taking time out of your day uh, to uh, interview with us today for Nisa Day FC, and wish you all the best down in New Orleans. I appreciate that, sir. Thank you for your time, Josh. Looking forward to uh, some more of your podcasts, man. Thank you. And that was the managing director of Nisa Nation, Jonathan Rednauer. Just want to take a moment to thank him for taking time out of his busy day to join us for this interview. And I hope you guys got to learn a lot more about Nisa Nation and their plans moving forward. And with that, 
that will conclude today's episode. I want to thank everyone for taking time to tune in for this latest episode. If you have any comments, suggestions, feedback, please reach out to me to my personal Twitter page. It's at JT underscore Taylor 88. And if you like the show, please follow us on Facebook. We're at Nisa Today FC on Instagram at Nisa underscore Today FC and also on Twitter at Nisa underscore Today FC. My next interview coming up will be with the co-founder and vice president of Savannah Clovers FC, Brian Sykes. I just concluded that interview with him and I will have that up for you guys very soon. You guys take care of yourselves. Enjoy the rest of your day and I'll see you next time.